Hey everybody, this is Jen, one half of the Chattahoochee duo. This is just to say that this episode is a continuation of our Twitch-streamed episode, which is why we kind of begin and end without introducing ourselves. Consider yourselves introduced now. Alright, we have a viewer question. Okay, so to stay on topic, I'm in a long-distance relationship right now. It's not a problem of whether or not I love her or if she loves me back, because we both love each other very much, but the distance just makes it very, very hard. I don't get to see her nearly ever, and I know it hurts both of us because we miss each other a whole lot. I'm not sure if I want to keep this going. I would really love to, since she's the best, and I love her to bits, but it's very hard. Or break up and stay friends, hopefully. What should I do? Um... That's, yeah, I was, who was I talking to today? I was talking to someone at work today about how hard long-distance relationships are. And they're, it's just, like, they're hard in so many ways. And even in, like, when Noam and I were first dating, um, like, we started dating in April. And then in May, it was, like, the end of school, right? So then I was in Maine, and he was in Virginia, and I think we, like, came, both went back to school, like, a month later. So we weren't even separate for the whole summer, but just, like, a month. And it was really hard because, like, you're mostly communicating, like, via text. Like, either actual texting or, like, on Discord or whatever. Um, and it can be really hard to get tone across. And so any misunderstandings get, like, really amplified. Some people are just bad texters. Yeah. Um... Or, like, if someone doesn't reply, you don't know, like, oh, are they ignoring me or are they really busy? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know personally, just, like, in a very, very limited scope of my personal experience, that was really difficult. Um, so having to deal with that, like, for an extended period of time is... I, I There are people who do that routinely, and I don't know how they... I really don't know how they do it because it's... I think it's a very inherently difficult thing to do. Um... I, yeah, I've had to be away from the person I may or may not be dating (laughs) for, like, a week and a half or something, and that was really hard for me, so I don't know how you do, like, actual long distance. Yeah. Like, it makes me angry. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me a little bit Genghis Khan. (laughs) Genghis Khan. Yeah, I I think it depends a lot on, like, what your love language is. Like, have you ever taken, like, a long love language test? No, what's a love language test? It's... <laughs> is this, like, some kind of, like, bonkers pseudoscience? No, it's okay. just, like, there are, I think, like, six different lung- love languages. Okay. <laughs> I keep saying lung languages. <laughs> lung languages. We've been podcasting for a long time. Our all-night podcast on Friday night is going to really be a challenge for me, because I can't even do an hour and a half. Um, I'm not known for my articulation already. So, there are, I think, six different love languages. You should Google it. It's really interesting. I think One is, like, gift-giving. One is acts of service. So, like, if someone, like, does the dishes for you, or, like, oh. makes coffee for you before you get up. One is physical touch, mm-hmm. which is, like, obviously, like, Hugging and etc. <laughs> One is um, words of affirmation, which is like "I love you" or like "You mean a lot to me" or like "I want to be with you forever." Like just like affirming that you care about this person and that like you're into the relationship or whatever it is. Um, I think there are some other ones too, but like <laughs> I think like. 
for instance, if your love language, you have, like, I mean, obviously everyone loves all of those things. Yeah. Mostly. Um, but then you have, like, your primary, and then you have ones that, like, don't matter as much to you. Like, I don't care about, like, being given gifts, really. Like, I don't hate gifts, but, like, if you don't... You'll take them. (laughs) I will accept any and all gifts. But if you don't give me a gift, I won't, like, question your love for me. Um... But, like, uh, if you are in a long-distance relationship and your primary love language is physical touch, like, that's going to be really challenging because you can't, like, physically touch the person. Or, like, if your primary love language is acts of service, like, you can't really, like, that kind of requires a bit of domesticity, like, being in the same area to, like, do things for the person. Um, But if your primary love language is, like, words of affirmation, you can tell them you love them from afar. You can, like, send gifts from afar. um, Stuff like that. Um, And I think, I don't know, I don't know if this makes it easier or harder. I'm assuming you can correct me if I'm incorrect in this. I think that this is, like, um, first of all, it's a new relationship. Like, they've been long distance pretty much from the start. Pretty much from the start, not like. Did they meet in person? I, I think they met at like a like a two week workshop. Okay. Pro like a program, and then. Well, that makes it a lot stronger than if they had just met online. I think. Yeah. Not to like diss anyone who met online, but um, having some basis in person. But then I think that this is also like they are in high school. Yes, I don't know if she is. I'm assuming she is. He's in high school. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is probably the first or one of the first relationships for both of them, most likely. Um, And I don't, I think that that can make it, like, first relationships are going to be hard no matter what. Yes, she's in high school. Um, Because, like, you're learning how to be in a relationship. Like, there's a learning curve. I don't know. Yeah, you're kind of making it up as you go along. Yeah. Um, But... If you, like, are developing that paradigm within the long-distance context, then maybe that makes it, um, like, easier because that's what you're used to. Hmm. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, you build that relationship long-distance. Yeah. So you're not, like, missing anything. Like, nothing feels like it's missing. Yeah. As much, maybe? But I feel like it's probably- the fact that he's asking this question means that it- that I'm probably not right in what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so your are your primary modes of communication? You're texting. Are you like talking on the phone? Are you Skyping, like like yeah, FaceTiming, Discord, Face calling, like visually seeing each other? Um, I think that could make a big difference. Yeah, I would say being able to see the person and also to hear their voice is omegling. <laughs> is chat roulette <laughs> those are terrible ideas don't do it um this is one of those pieces of advice that you don't do texting voice calls and video calls so i would say good you're doing as much as you possibly can video calls are kind of rare though so you're um, not being catfish that's good yes they've met <laughs> mostly text i would say if you both really care about each other it's worth expending the effort to try to make it work um and like be clear in i don't want to say the rules but sort of the rules like if you're gonna be parameters yeah like if you're not gonna be able to talk expectations 
Yeah, expectations is a good one. If you're not going to be able to talk, like, if you are going to be in something that doesn't allow your phone to, like, you can't reply. If you're going to be in jail for the night. <laughs> in jail for the night, in a movie, or, <laughs> like, at a family function where your mom will get upset at you. You're getting your you're tonsils your out and you're going to be not a doubt for a couple hours. Um, like, be clear and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to be able to talk for a while because I'm doing this dumb thing that I have to do with my family. Oh, yeah, um, watching a movie with your family. Yeah. They don't want you to text. Yes. That's common. Um, like, being clear about periods of time when you can't communicate um, is important. And then if you want to make it work, like, setting aside time to specifically be focusing on that person through video calls or phone calls um, is really important because when you're not, like, physically with the person, it's really easy to, like, make that seem like it's a back burner, like, oh, I can text them later, or, I don't know, but, like, make it clear that you're each other's priority, or one of each other's main priorities, um, video call on weekends, yeah, okay, so it sounds like you're letting her know when you can't talk, and hopefully she's doing the same for you, yeah. um, that's really thoughtful, I went to thought <laughs> yeah, I just, like, I just knew, like, it really bothered me or Noam when, like, we were in the middle of a conversation and then, like, would stop talking. I'd be like, why isn't he talking? Did I say something wrong? Is he upset at me about something? Mm -hmm. And it would just be, like, his dad asked for his help with a computer problem or something so I he couldn't talk. I never think about that. Yeah. I don't get offended when people stop talking because I stop talking a lot. Yeah. I think it depends on the relationship, too. Yeah. It's, like, if someone, like, when you and I are talking, like, I know that you might not reply for a couple hours or, like, a day, and I don't reply for a couple She's hours She's probably just day. lost in the woods. She'll find her way out. Sometimes I get a little worried. <laughs> but if you're in a relationship where you, you, excuse me, are talking a lot, like, pretty constantly and consistently, then I can see why that would be confusing or alarming. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be, like needy or pushy, mm -hmm. but I do think that that is a considerate thing to do, which it sounds like you're already doing. Um, so I say, yeah, just have some parameters in place. Make sure that um, you're doing everything you can to be prioritizing the relationship in the same way that you would if they were there. Yeah, that's hard. Which is really hard. Um, and then if you try that for a while and it's causing you more unhappiness than happiness, like if it's a net negative in your life, then you can consider, like, then you should start to consider, all right, is this relationship something that I should continue pursuing? Right. Which is a really hard thing to, it's a really hard question to deal with. If I were you, I would consider, like... Would I be a lot happier if I had a significant other who actually lived near me? Which is such a hard thing to contemplate because it sounds like you guys do really care about each other. Yeah. But yeah, you... Yeah. But it's hard when you're like, I love this specific person. You can't think about like, Does oh... Does he love her? He didn't say love. Yes he, yes, he did. Did he? I love her to bits. Oh, you do love her to bits. Okay. And he... I We were talking the other night and he said, I love her and she loves me. He's used the L word. The big L word. Well, 
multiple times. <laughs> well, then I guess that changes things. Um, <laughs> a cat's rocking a chair, and I thought it was a poltergeist. He does love her. Then, yeah, I guess... I don't know. What do I know about love, Jen? <laughs> I would say it's easy for people to be dismissive of your feelings because they'll say you're too far away, you're young, there's going to be other people that... Your brain isn't fully developed. Your brain isn't fully developed. There's going to be other people that are nearby. And all of those things might be true, but that doesn't mean it's the right answer. Yeah. And only you can decide, like, what's best for your happiness. It's a hard position to be in, because, yeah, I definitely, it would probably be really traumatizing to just, like, cut off a relationship with someone you love, even if it's really hard. Right. So even if in an ideal world, you would have someone who lived closer to you, and she would have someone who lived closer to her, that's not how things are. Right. So, yeah. I don't know if that was helpful at all. That sucks, but we definitely sympathize with you. Yeah. That sounds really hard. I could not do that. Yeah. And you must care a lot about each other if you are willing to go through the work of doing long distance. Yeah. So I um, admire that. I don't care about anything enough to do that. Casey and I had a long-distance friendship for two years. You didn't email me for, like, a month. (laughs) Yeah, but I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't mad about it, though. I did not question her love for me. That's true. We were just very far apart. Yeah, and I was, I don't know, incommunicado with everyone (laughs) in my life. She was just up a palm tree in San Diego. (laughs) Uh, all right. This is kind of, we we have two questions left. We might as well finish them. We can bring, yeah. we can bring this to a solid two hours, Casey. <laughs> Ten minutes for these two questions. <laughs> Approximately two hours. Uh, okay. That's like a movie. That's like a feature-length movie. That's like Transformers 2, Jen. Transformers You're 2. welcome. You're I welcome. hope we helped at all. And... I feel like Oh, we... thank you. He said we're helpful. I think he's being helpful to us by saying we're helpful. <laughs> he's humoring us. <laughs> I think just having someone say having like, someone else if, thinking about your hard situation makes it, it makes feel, it a little easier. And you're also, not doing it alone. We blathered on for so long that we distracted. We, we must have said something that was at least I don't know. You could cut up what we said and rearrange the words and create something helpful. Yes. You're welcome to do that. Upload it to YouTube and link it to us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our next question is also related. Is the phrase in this, I think this is from Yahoo Answers. Is the phrase, you'll find love when you stop looking for it, true? What's what's your opinion on that? (laughs) Uh, I've never done either. You've never found- I've never found them, and I've never stopped looking for them. <laughs> so I don't know. Yes? No, okay. That, none of that is super true. Um, is it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think that- I mean, it depends how you interpret it. Like, if you're looking for love, if you're, like, in a hopeless place. <laughs> If you're looking for loves in all the wrong places, then just keep doing it. Um, 
if you're like on Tinder and like going out a lot, like trying to find someone to fall in love with or whatever you're doing, and you stop doing that, like you get off Tinder and you never leave your house again, then no, you're not gonna find love in your house. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes. you have to be putting in some effort. But the, there's like the stereotypical thing where like the girl bumps into the guy in the subway and spills they spill soup on each other. <laughs> <laughs> they're both holding big cauldrons of soup and they just get drenched in soup and then they're immediately in love. That's and, how it happened for me. <laughs> and then the it like I feel like that's the stereotypical like, oh, I wasn't looking for love. It came looking for me. <laughs> you know? Don't find love underground, please. Um, one time I got stuck in the subway doors. <laughs> and no one helped me. I didn't find love. <laughs> I was like 15 years old in um, Washington, D.C. I was with my mom and my brother. And... <laughs> Um, they were, they, like, got on the train, and then I was, like, on my way to get on the train, and the doors just, like, closed on me, and I was, like, I was more out than I was in, so I just, like, went back out of the train, and then the train took off with my in, the, in it, and then I remembered what my mom always told me, which is, if I get lost, stay where I am, and she'll find me. Way to plant Anne. <laughs> because she knew that I wander, and I have no sense of direction, so I just get myself way more lost. And also, I think that's just generally good advice. Like, if you get lost, like, skiing or something, and you're in the middle of nowhere, like, it's sometimes best to stay where you are yeah. instead of wander, so then, like, rescue people can find you. I guess it depends on whether you know someone will find you. Someone but, is coming for you. But I knew my mom would come back for me. I actually questioned it momentarily. I was like, mm. <laughs> But I just stayed where I was, and I all of a sudden felt extremely alone, and I, like, there were a lot of adults around me. Everyone thought I was, like, a DC kid who knew what I was doing. They could not be further from the truth. <laughs> Actually, they probably didn't think that because they just saw me get smushed in some doors. <laughs> anyway, I did not find love in the subway station. No. Next question. <laughs> no, okay. I think the, like, the knowledge wisdom nugget, yeah, it's a Boy Scout thing. And make a fire. I didn't make a fire in the DC subway station. <laughs> But yeah, okay, one of our viewers says, Lost Boy Scouts 101, stay where you are and make a fire. Anyway, don't make a fire if you're on a subway station, but maybe stay where you are if your mom's coming for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I think the wisdom behind when you stop looking for love, you'll find it, is that, like, when you stop looking for love, you start doing things that you love. Like, you start doing, like, doing your own hobbies that you love doing. And then you'll find someone who's also doing those hobbies. Yeah. At least if they're, like, semi-social hobbies. And then you'll fall in love with them, like, naturally. Yeah, and also, like, sometimes you can, like, be trying too hard. Yeah, and that's not attractive. Like, well, like what we were saying, like, you're supposed to be cool. Wear, <laughs> wear cool clothes. <laughs> act like you're not looking for love. Act Jen, confident. when you found love... Were you looking for it? Uh, I definitely was open to love. I don't know. I think I, like, I was definitely open to finding love. But, like, I wasn't, like, actively going out and 
like, trying to find people to be in a relationship with. And, like, I wasn't involved in, like, the hookup culture in college or, like, I wasn't using dating apps or anything. So I wasn't, like, actively, you know what I mean? Like, I was mentally open to it, but I wasn't actively seeking it. Okay. Um, I think that, like, many things, sometimes this phrase is true, the phrase being, you'll find love when you stop looking for it. Sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. Sometimes people are on Tinder and they're both looking for love. And they meet each other, and they fall in love. And they were both no, looking for it. Happen. And sometimes people bump into each other with cauldrons of soup, <laughs> and they find in love the that subway. way. So I don't think that you can generalize it one way or the other. That's my answer. I think my limited wisdom about love tells me that you can't force it. You can't, like, be looking for love and decide where you find it (laughs) yeah but you can be looking for love and eventually you find it somewhere what about people who do speed dating they're deciding (laughs) what about people who do speed (laughs) they can find love speedily (laughs) uh all right i've never i've never known anyone who did speed dating i think that was eradicated by tinder the same crowd that wanted to do speed dating in the, a previous generation would just be on Tinder. Yeah, I think speed dating was the generation above us. Yeah. Now I just want to watch some, like, 90s movies that have speed dating in them. Because <laughs> why not? The, the montages are always fun. Yeah. Um, okay. Our final... It's not really a question. Well, so, yeah, I guess it's a question. Yeah, it is. Uh, is this true? Don't judge a book by its cover. I have a lot of things to say about this. Would you like to take a crack at it first? I'll take a small crack at it and then let you go wild. Okay. Um, I think there are certain things you can ascertain by judging a book by its cover. You can, I mean, both metaphorically and literally, you can ascertain what the book or person wants you to think about it. Like, the author of the book, the company that makes the book, will put on the cover what it thinks will make you want the book. Or what it thinks conveys... The nature of the book to you. And the same with the person. Like, a person, like, their appearance um, tells you what they want to look like. It tells you what they want to show the world about themselves, mm-hmm. generally. There are also probably things you can tell that they don't necessarily want you to know, but just come through. Um, I guess that's all of my thoughts. Go ahead, Jen. Uh, can I ask you a related question before I start... You can try. Before I gather full head of steam here. Go ahead. Uh, Okay, you know how books will often, when there's a book and then a movie is made out of that book, they release Mm -hmm. a new book cover that has, like, the actors? Yeah. How do you feel about that? I'm not crazy Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Because I think most book covers are more interesting than most movie covers. You know what yes. I mean? They're usually more, like, interesting. Sometimes they're really minimalist and fun to look at. Yes. They're, like, maybe, like, hand-drawn stuff, like, artsier things. And, like, just photographs of actors, like, arranged in whatever artsy way. Like, it's not as interesting to my eye. And it doesn't look as good on a book, I don't think. Yes. What do you think? I agree for the reasons that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also because I feel like... Especially if I haven't, especially if I haven't read the book yet, um, 
it kind of ruins my immersion in the book because we're talking about, for the new person here, we're talking about whether or not you should judge a book by its cover. Um, for me, when there's a movie version of a book versus, like, the original cover of the book, having the movie version with the actors and actresses on it ruins my immersion in the story where I, like, to think of, like, how I envision the characters mm -hmm. based on their descriptions. Yeah. And then I go in with, like, a very colored perspective, or, yeah, perspective, or perception yeah. of the characters. I don't like that. Like, I, when I read The Hunger Games, I was reading the one that had Jennifer Lawrence on the cover, and I feel mm. like that definitely changed the way I thought about that character yeah, throughout the entire series. Yeah, she describes her and she's, like, Asian, right? Um, I think she's, she's definitely not white. Yeah. Yes. She's more interesting. <laughs> more diverse <laughs> than racist. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, judging books by their covers, I definitely do that. Well, I think everyone does it literally and metaphorically to some extent. I definitely do it literally where if I am just like, I don't know, at the library or in a used bookstore, and I kind of just want to find a random book to read, I'll definitely do it based on the cover design. Yeah. To some extent. Like, if there's no book that I specifically really want to read, and I'm just looking for something kind of random, I'll look for something that has a design that's appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Which has definitely burned me before. Which is a valuable lesson. You can judge a book by its cover, but... And sometimes those will align, and sometimes they will not. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can judge it, but don't, like, live and die by that judgment. Yeah. Um, and also, in terms of not in a literal sense, like, I think what you said about, like, the way that people conduct themselves and the way that people dress and the things that they talk about, like, are all to convey, like, a personality that they want to convey. And so there is some value in judging them based off of that. Yeah, you know what they want you to think about. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, I don't know, like, I try to think about what people think of me when they see me, mm -hmm. and I've been asking people recently, not people, like, one person. Uh, one person multiple times. Yes. Like, what was your first impression of me? Because I th what, what person? Someone. Whisper it to me. <laughs> uh, because I feel like it's really interesting to know what people first thought of you. Because, yeah. like, the way that you are, like, what you're trying to convey about yourself isn't necessarily, like, people aren't necessarily picking up what you're laying down. Oh my god, our first impressions of each other, I think we've talked about them on this <laughs> podcast before, but they were both terrible and wrong. Because uh, we're both really quiet people, and when you're quiet, like, people mostly just have what you look like to go on, yes. and, like, the few things that you do say, and so their judgment is pretty wrong. <laughs> I think we should tell the story again, because it's a great and entertaining story. Okay, do you want to tell it sentence by sentence? Yes. <laughs> okay. I'll start. We were in high school. And it was the end of senior year. And both of our high schools were pretty far apart, but in the same athletic district organization thing. And the powers that be decided <laughs> that 
not only should it be an athletic district, it should be an academic district. Yeah, so we were both really academically uh, successful in high school, not to brag or anything. We were really successful 17-year-olds. <laughs> so we were invited to this banquet within our uh, academic district for the people from each school that placed within the top 10 of their graduating class. Right. And we were both already, we had both already decided we were going to go to Bowdoin, so they sat us at the same table. Which made sense. (laughs) And we were definitely the two quietest people at the table, and we, (laughs) we didn't interact with each other. Jen, I think, said one thing about baseball that I remember. <laughs> Which Casey could not relate to. <laughs> but then, uh, I thought Casey was really weird because we were at this fancy <laughs> banquet and she refused to get any food. I have weird food things, okay? And I thought Jen was weird because she had really long hair and a really long skirt. And no one I knew wore really long black skirts. At 17 or 18 years old, and so I thought she was Amish. The reason I was wearing uh, a long black skirt with my very long hair down was because I never dress up, and I thought that's how you are supposed to dress up. (laughs) And yes, I'm a baseball fan. (laughs) And yeah, your whole outfit was very conservative, so I thought you were just like religious of some kind. Yes. Orthodox something or other. So then we uh, went through the night without talking to each other or to anyone else at our table. And then, uh, how long later? Five months later or something? Three or four. Three or four months later. In the fall, we saw each other at the Bowdoin Science Experience, which was our pre-orientation that we were also both at because we were similar people. (laughs) And I... It might have been me. I think I was like, hey, were you at this thing? I feel like it was me. Really? I feel like I approached you. Because I... Okay, most people were there with their parents and, like, eating lunch with their parents. And my parents brought me and dropped me off and went to, like, one lecture thing. But my parents are extremely embarrassing. <laughs> and I'm saying that with a lot of love. And the thing is, they try to be embarrassing. <laughs> It's not mean of me to say this. It's their goal to be embarrassing. They think it's hilarious. They play this game with each other that's like, who can embarrass Casey the most? And now that I'm 26, I can play at that game too, and I embarrass them just as much as they embarrass me. But at, like, 18 years old, I was very susceptible to being embarrassed by my parents. These were a bunch of people I wanted to be friends with. And so I was like, Mom and Dad, you need to go. But then when they left, I was lonely. And so I saw Jen with her family, and I was like... I recognize this person. I need to, like, talk to her. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you're right. I think that's right. So then she uh, rode with me in my parents' van to the dining hall and had dinner with us. We had lunch together. Did you say that? We, like, I approached her at, like, a lunch, the lunch thing we were doing. And I was like, hey, do I remember you? Like, how are you doing? And then I think you did say, like, good, like, do you want to sit with us? Or maybe your mom invited. Yeah, my mom did. Your mom. Her wonderful mom. I love her mom a lot. Hi, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, oh, hey, like, do you want to eat lunch with us? Because she saw that I was, like, this lost puppy (laughs) who had, like, been abandoned slash abandoned her parents. (laughs) I was orphaned by choice. 
Her mom is a school teacher, so she's, like, very good at, like, interacting with small, shy children. <laughs> so she was like, come eat lunch with us. And so I did. And then you guys were leaving. And then I was like, hey, come with us. And then we got my parents' van, which was filled with all of my stuff. And so there was nowhere for us to sit. So we kind of just, like, huddled. As we drove to the dorm. But it was all enclosed within the campus. We weren't on any, like, We were on road. the highway. We weren't. Fly. But it was a very strange experience for me because I was like, am I being kidnapped by a whole family? <laughs> but what's really funny that I forgot to tell you, when we were at your mom's house, your parents' house, the other day, talking to your mom, and you were, like, downstairs changing laundry, your mom was talking to me about, like, how on your wedding day, how we would get from the hotel to the venue or whatever. And she was like, oh, you guys can ride in our van and then we'll come back and get the boys. And then I was like, I wish Jen were here because I would make knowing eye contact with her about us crouching in the van. <laughs> I think we should crouch in your van for old time's sake on the way from the hotel to your wedding. That's, there's a nice symmetry there. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the question... If you, when you judged my book by my cover, uh -huh. you thought I was Amish. Yeah. And I thought, okay, Amish for me is like a code word. Okay, this is going to be like mean to Amish people. But what I mean when I say Amish is like boring, <laughs> like religious, boring, conservative. Yeah, I know what you white. mean. <laughs> country, fairly country. Um,. And you're not religious, you're not boring, you're not too conservative, you are white. I was right about that. So that's one thing you can judge a person kind of by. <laughs> Crouching in a van is a wonderful experience. Says you, religious. you literally just said to judge someone by their skin color. Oops. Oh no, can you edit that out? <laughs> that's not what I meant, I was distracted. Okay. You can judge what someone's skin color is by looking at them. But don't judge them by their skin color. I was right that Jen is white. <laughs> is what I'm saying. But I thought you were really... <laughs> I'm being yelled at. <laughs> I'm being angry-faced. Um, this is why I can't be a celebrity. I say Casey says things. too many things that could be misconstrued wildly. Yeah. <laughs> Casey's a meanie. Um... Yeah, this is exactly what the tabloids would be saying. Slash newspapers, slash the New York Times. The Casey problem, is a meanie. The problem is that I drew attention to it. <laughs> wow. But I didn't want people to think that I was agreeing with you. <laughs> you don't want to be complicit in the bigotry. Um. Anyway, I was wrong about my initial judgment of you. Your initial judgment of me, however, was pretty correct, which is a girl who is weird and does weird stuff with food. <laughs> That's Casey in a nutshell. Right? Was there anything else you judged me on? Like, were there any other adjectives you would have used for me? No. That's about it. Like, you thought I was quiet. Well, we both thought each other were quiet, but now we have a podcast where we literally talk for over two hours. So, it's kind yeah, of true. But, but that, like, I'm quiet in real life. This is real life. This is the realest gets, Jen. Like, I get on this camera and I talk to... I don't know, random people on the internet. And also non-random people. They're my friends. Specific people. Also specific people, but also any, like, literally anyone could just be here and I wouldn't know who they are. Uh, but, like, in my day-to-day -day life, I'm not like that at all. Right. 
But I would have thought, so by quiet, I would have thought, like, in a one-on-one setting, you would still be quiet. Yeah. But in a one-on-one setting, you can talk a lot. And do. This is Jen again. I'm missing my better half, but I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will be back next week with more Chattahoochee, and until then, keep it real.